want to say good morning to those of you who are in the room, those who are watching online by TV around the world. We're so thankful that you joined us today. And today's kind of a really special day, to be honest with you, because it makes me think of someone that had probably more impact on my life than anybody I've ever known. We're in a series, but we're calling Family Ties. And we've been dealing with the various constituents, the various parts of the traditional family. We've talked to husbands. We've talked to wives. We've talked to mothers. We've talked to fathers. And, well, to fathers, not mothers. Today, we're going to talk to and about moms. Now, I know from having a mother, and by the way, just see if you're awake. How many of you had at least one mother? Would you hold your hand up? Great. <laughs> I know from having a mother and being married to a mother. I'll tell you what I've learned. Yeah, dad may be the head of the home, but mom is the heart of the home. No doubt about it. Some, in fact, somebody said this about mom. It's so true. A mother is she who can take the place of all others, but whose place no one else can take. Nobody can take the place of mom. I told you a week or so ago that the hardest job I by far have ever had in my life was being a dad. And I told you I'd give everything I own. I really would. I'd go back. If I could go back and do my daddy days over again, I would absolutely do it. But I absolutely am convinced of this. As hard as it is in being a dad, a dad has a far easier job than a mom. So all you mothers out there listening right now, let me just state the obvious, something we already know. We don't really talk about it much. We take it for granted. Mom, you got a hard job. You got a very difficult job. It's just not easy being a mother. And of course, you know what makes your job so difficult, right? Kids. If you didn't have kids, it'd be a, be a breeze. But kids really make it so hard. I, there was a mother who had three sons. Teresa had three sons, so I can really relate to this story. So she had three sons, three small kids, all boys. They were rambunctious. They fought all the time. They're always getting into mischief. And it seems like the mother was either being a police officer or a probation officer. You know, you've been there, moms, right? So one day, she was just worn out. She and her next-door neighbor were talking. And this mom was just telling her about how exhausted she was trying to keep these kids and trying to watch these kids all the time. And her neighbor said, well, let me ask you a question. She said, if you had to do all over again, would you still have children? She said, absolutely, but not the same ones. <laughs> now, moms, we can all relate to that. And, and I just want to like to say to all your moms, look, my hat's off to you today, not only for who you are, but what you do. I'm going to make a very strong statement. I'm not being hyperbolic when I say it. I'm not trying to be extreme when I say it. I believe all of my heart. I believe of all the jobs in the world, I believe what mothers do, there's not a more powerful or more influential force in the world than a godly mother. Nowhere. The President of the United States does not, does not have the influence. Senators, congressmen, Hollywood stars, celebrities, football stars, athletes, nobody Nobody has the impact on the world that a godly mother can have. The number one reason I am a follower of Jesus today, the number one reason is because of the prayers of a godly mother. The reason why I'm in the ministry today is because of the prayers of her godly mother. My dad was the head of my home. Nobody had to figure that out. We all knew that. But mom was the spiritual leader of my home. And I'm where I am today because of the prayers of a godly mom. So today, moms and everybody, we're going to look at what I call a model mom. And so if you brought a copy of God's Word or you want to get on an iPad or an iPhone or whatever, we're in a book that's really easy to find. It's called 1 Samuel. 
Now, you may say, no idea where that is. Easy. It's right before 2 Samuel, all right? In your Bible, just go to Genesis, start going east, and you'll hit 1 Samuel about seven or eight or nine or ten books in. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Now, if I were to ask every mother that's listening to me right now a simple question, would you like to be a model mom? Would you like to be the kind of mother that every aspiring mother would say, now that's the kind of mom that I want to be. Do you want to be the kind of mom that you would say, when my kids are grown and gone, I want them to look back and say, man, I had a model mom. I'm going to give you the secret today. There's one thing, moms, that makes every mother, average mother, a cut above the average mother. There's one thing that can turn you from a mom to a model mom. And here's the thing. Model moms pursue prayer. That's the difference. Model moms pursue prayer. Now, let me just say this. Yeah, I'm talking about moms, and yeah, I'm talking to moms, but what I'm going to tell you today really is for everybody. It's for dads. It's for moms, husbands, wives, sons, daughters, brothers, sisters. It really is for everybody. If you're not even married, if you're single, this is for you. Let me tell you why. If I were to ask some of you today, hey, do you have any worries do you have any concerns, any irritation, anything not going quite right in your life? You know, I would say by far, most of you probably would say if you thought about it, nobody, very few people would say, oh man, listen man, my life is 100% perfect. Okay, if you would say that, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. Don't get out of bed ever again, all right? I'm telling you, it will change. Because here's the truth of the matter. Life's hard. And let me tell you something I've learned to my chagrin. You think when you're younger, <clears throat> life gets easier when you get older. No, it gets harder. It doesn't get easier. It gets tougher. And things get tough. <clears throat> Some days are rainy. And we're going to learn from this model mom today. So how do you navigate through the tough times of life? How do you get through those times when you can't pay your bills when your marriage isn't cutting it, when emotionally you're just not hitting on all eight cylinders, when you've got a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, when you just found out there's got to biopsy the lump on your lung. So how do you get through those tough times in such a way that the peace of God will comfort you and the joy of God will bless you, and the power of God will strengthen you. How do you do that? So hopefully I struck a nerve today, and hopefully you would say, do I ever need to hear this message? Because I want to tell you right now, there's some things in my life that just stink. There are some things in my life right now, I'm telling you, I can't sleep at night. I've got ulcers. I'm worried. I just can't get things together. Yeah, I'm going through some tough times in my life. Let me show you what this model mom did. Number one, in your frustration, you're frustrated. Yeah, I am. All right, in your frustration, serve the Lord. Now, if I were to ask you today, hey, mom, is it tough being a mom? Here's what you'd say to me. I mean, seriously? You really, seriously? Absolutely. It is absolutely tough being, I think I'd probably get a unanimous vote. Some of you might even say, I can't even believe you're asking that question, okay, you think you got it tough? I want you to look at a lady named Hannah. 
And I want you to notice how difficult he, she had it because let's just say her home life wasn't really ideal, okay? It was more like real life TV. Let's see what was going on. 1 Samuel 1. There was a certain man from Ramathiam, a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu. I don't know why they, we care about that. The son Tohu, I don't know, I thought it said Tofu. The son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephraimite. Then we read this. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Well, right off the bat, you got two problems. You already see this is not going to work out real well, right? Number one, Hannah's got competition. She's not the only woman in the house. She's not the only wife in the house. Now, by the way, I learned something about Elkanah, her husband. When I read here, he had two wives. I say, okay, he had two wives, which means he wasn't two wives, right? He's got two wives. Okay, well, that tells me right now, he's got some rooms to run upstairs unfurnished. But the problem, the problem was not only what Hannah did have to put up with, it's what she didn't have. She have children. And here's what's interesting. Chinese language is a very fascinating language, very difficult language to learn. You may or may not know this, but the Chinese language uses ideograms. An ideogram is a symbol. It's like a picture that conveys a certain idea. So let me, let me give you an example. In the Chinese language, they have a character for woman. So they'll take the character for woman, and then they'll add to it a character that, that, uh, that has some thought associated with a woman, and that gives another Chinese word. So for example, if you take the character for woman, and then you combine that with the character for child, that comes out meaning lovely, right? A child, a mother, lovely. Now, you take the character for woman, and you add the character of a roof, that combines to form the ideogram for peace. Because to Chinese, a woman in the home, a good woman, brings peace. But now this is where it gets interesting. If you take a character for a woman and another character for a woman, and you put that together, that gives you the ideogram quarrel. <laughs> it gets more interesting. If you take one character for a woman and another character for a woman, and you put a roof over their head, the character for a woman, that word is trouble. And that is exactly what's going on here. You got two women under the same roof and there's a lot of quarreling and there is a lot of trouble. So we keep reading. Year after year, this man, that's the husband, went up from his town to worship and sacrificed to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Wherever the, whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. Remember, she's the mom. She's got the children. Now watch this. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, that's the other wife, kept provoking her in order to irritate in order to irritate her. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Let's watch this. This went on year after year. Year after year, it's going on. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and she would not eat. So Hannah's got all this stuff going on. Number one, she can't have children. Number two, 
She's not the only one in the house. He has another wife, and she has children. But it gets worse. He makes it plain to the wife that's got kids, I love the other wife more than I love you. So, what's the other wife do? She's, got, she's mad, she's angry, she's probably ticked at her husband because he loves her more and he doesn't, make it, you know, doesn't keep it a secret. So he takes it out on Hannah. So she starts nagging Hannah and sticking it to Hannah and, and, and shaming Hannah and rubbing salt into the wound. You know, I've got kids, but you can't have kids. I've got children, you can't have children. So here's poor Hannah year after year. She can't stop crying. She can't eat. She's depressed. She can't sleep. And you think you got problems. Okay. I mean, she is, I mean, so frustrated. Now, before I go on, I got to say something before I forget. I thought about this when I was working on this message. I want you moms, you, you ladies out there to know that either don't or cannot have children. My heart goes out to some of you. To, to any of you, I, I know moms, I've, I've had them in my, every church I've had. I've had women that wanted to have children, but for whatever the reason, they couldn't. And I just want to say to you, that doesn't make you any less of a woman. God certainly knows your heart. He knows the intent of your heart. And I don't want you to get from this message, well, so if I'm not a mother, that really means that, that I'm not really fulfilled as a woman. That's not true at all. Some of the greatest women in the Bible were single women who never had children. Because the whole cold hard truth is, it is sometimes God's will for a woman not to marry. Sometimes it's God's will for a woman not to have children on her own. And I don't see anything in the Bible that says you have to either be a wife or you've got to be a mother to be used by the Lord. So I want to make that very, very plain. What I want you to see is this. Year after year after year, even though Hannah's going through all this junk in her life, miserable, crying, depressed, can't eat. Why can't she have children? Notice carefully, every year she goes to church. Every year she goes to the house of the Lord. Every year, year after year, they go to the temple, they sacrifice to the Lord. Now that wasn't the only time they went to the tabernacle, but this was the yearly sacrifice. So here's the wonderful thing about this sweet lady. She's, she's, you know, she's angry, she's upset, she's frustrated, she wants to have kids. We're going to see that in a moment, just how badly she wants to have kids. But let me tell you what she doesn't do. She doesn't shake her fist in the face of God. She doesn't say, what good does it do to go to church? What good does it do to serve you? What good does it do to worship you? I cry out to you. It seems like my prayers are like rubber balls bouncing off the ceiling. Forget you. Nope. She keeps going to church. Keeps, she, she keeps serving the Lord. She keeps going to the house of God. Now, we're not really told in the text, why had God closed her womb? We don't, we're not told, but I'll tell you one result. Because God had closed her womb, Hannah was driven to the point where she realized, you know what? I am totally dependent on you. My hope is in you. My help is from you. My health is from you. And I have a heart for you, and I'll tell you why I say this. I'm talking to some people right now watching online, I'm being honest. It amazes me how many times in my ministry I've seen people go through bad times, hard times, tough times. They get the short end of the stick. They didn't get the job or they lost the job. And you know the first thing they do? Quit church. Quit God. Get mad at God. Get angry at God. Get bitter at God. And it's so sad that we let the hard times and the tough times and the difficult times drive us to do exactly the opposite of what we ought to do. Because let me tell you something. You're going through a really bad time in your life. Let me give you a piece of advice. Don't run from God. Run to God. Right. 
You're certainly not going to get any help running from God. But there is a God that will help you if you'll come to him. Don't quit church. Go to church. So I just want to encourage you. If if you're going through one of the most frustrating times in your life right now, this would be my biblical counsel to you. Don't just go to church. Get involved in church. Serve the Lord. Get involved in in a home group. Get involved in a small group. Get active. Get involved. You let the Lord know. You know what? I'm going to stay an active part of the family. I'm going to keep my trust in you. So in your frustration, serve the Lord. You may be beyond frustration. You may say, listen, I wish it was just frustration. I'm in a situation of desperation. Well, what's this? In your desperation, seek the Lord. In your desperation, seek the Lord. Now, you know what desperation is? It's just frustration on steroids. That's all. Desperation is just frustration on steroids. And the situation is becoming increasingly unbearable to Hannah. Because let me tell you something you don't know from the text. In biblical days, if you were a wife and you could not have a child, especially if you couldn't have a son, it was considered a shameful thing. People would look at you and they'd say, so what did you do wrong? What skeleton is in your closet? What are you hiding? What did you do so bad that made God so mad he's not letting you have children? So well, that's not fair. It's not fair, but that's just the way it was. And see, the problem is every day she had to look at Peninnah. And every day she had to listen to her constant sneering and nagging. And every day Peninnah would take a knife with that, take a hammer, and she just hammer that knife deeper into her chest every single day. Never, ever let up. So what does this model mom do? In her deep anguish, Hannah, can you say that word with me? Prayed. Not complained. Not fussed. Prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Here's the good news about Hannah. She did not waste her barrenness. She did not allow her barrenness to turn into bitterness. She finally was understanding. You know what? I don't know why this is happening, Lord. You don't owe me an answer, but I understand now. You've given these, these problems. You've designed these problems to drive me in desperation to you, to send me to you. It's amazing how God can use some of the very people you dislike the most to do the biggest thing he wants to do in your life. And God has actually used this Penina lady. God had actually used her to drive her into the hands of God. Because you see, model moms pursue prayer. Model moms go after God. Model moms don't quit on God because they know God will never quit on them. And so you see this next verse, and it's so encouraging. It says, and she kept on praying. She just, every day, she kept on praying to the Lord. Let me give you a great thought. I'm not going to call names, and you'll never know if it's you or not. But can I tell you the person I just... It gets on my last nerve. Can I just be honest? It's the person that just won't shut up. I'm sorry. I'm just being honest. Patience is not my love. I don't mind talk. One reason why Teresa and I have a great marriage is she's not always talking. And I'm not always talking. I have my quiet time. She has quiet time. 
We've talked about it a lot. We'll go on a trip. We'll take a trip to Florida, just two of us. We may go an hour and I'll say a word to each other. We're not mad or upset. She's looking out the window. I'm watching out the windshield. I'm driving. And, you know, it's just life's good, okay? And we've all known people. I guarantee you're thinking about somebody right now. You may say, yeah, I'm married to her, okay, or married to him. I don't know. But she said, yeah, talks all the time. I get it. I understand, okay, just all the time. Here's the good news. God never gets tired of our talking to him. Never. Talk all you want to. God never gets tired of hearing our prayers. Now, just remember, sometimes he delays giving us what we're asking for to teach us the discipline of continuing to ask for it. Because I told you not long ago, we misunderstand prayer. The primary of prayer is not to get God to do something for you. The primary purpose of prayer is for God to get, to, forget, to get God to do something in you. So she kept on praying. And God kept on hearing. You know, Winston Churchill said this. He said, never give up on something you can't go a day without thinking about. Never give up on something you cannot go a day without thinking about. I know that's true. I fought 41 years for a national championship. Never give up a day for everything that you're thinking about, right? So, until, until, and unless you believe God has said a final no, which sometimes he does, don't give a final no to prayer. Now, I don't want to spoil the ending. Let's go ahead and see what God does. So, in the course of time, whose time? God's time, not hers, God's. In the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Now, watch this. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Now, watch this. This is so cool. She has a baby. Now, she could name that baby anything she wanted to. But thank God she didn't name him Tofu. <laughs> or a bunch of other names we could all think about in the Bible. She names him Samuel. Do you know what the name Samuel means? Are you ready for this? Heard by God. Ask of God. I'm going to call you Samuel because she said, every time I call your name, I'm going to remember you gave me that boy. And Samuel, every time you hear me call your name, I want you to remember you are the result of a mother's prayer. You are here today because I ask God for you. So when we go through those desperate times, and we all do in desperation, Seek the Lord and quit seeking the Lord. Don't quit on God. He doesn't quit on you. But now watch this. So Hannah's had this time of frustration. We understand. And Hannah's had this time of desperation. We understand. But now comes the time for celebration. So God's answered her prayer. She has a child. All right? So what do you do? In frustration, serve the Lord. Desperation, seek the Lord. Um, wait a minute. But what do you do when, hey, the prayer's answered, got what I wanted, got what I needed. All right, watch this. In, in your celebration, surrender to the Lord. In your celebration, surrender to the Lord. Let me tell you why. I'm going to go ahead and get ahead of myself. You know what we tend to do the moment God comes through, the moment God answers our prayer, and the moment God says, okay, you, this is what you wanted, I gave it to you. You know what we tend to do? We forget him. Thank you. If I ever need you again, I'll, I'll call you. Go back to your seat. I'll talk to you later. No. 
in your celebration, you surrender to the Lord. You know, there's an interesting verse in the Bible that says, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning, right? And we've all experienced, we've all had this. We've all experienced the joy of God answering our prayer. God comes through. God does what we ask. God knows the desire of our heart. And it's so great when you go, I can't believe what God has done. Now listen to me very carefully. When the Lord finally shows up and the Lord finally comes through and you finally get what you asked for, now watch this. That will either be a great time in your life or it will be a very dangerous time in your life because you will do one of two things. You will either surrender to the Lord or you will forget the Lord. And see, we know now that Hannah's praying, but we haven't yet heard what she prayed. We, we, we've heard it. So what exactly did she pray to the Lord? What's this? And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you only look on your servant's misery, remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then, let me stop right there. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Now, God, if you'll do this, I'll do that. God, if you'll give me that job, I'll tithe. God, if you'll, if you'll give me a national championship, I'll stay in the ministry one more year. You know, we've all made that, we've all made that if then, right? We all, hey God, you do this, I'll do that. We all, we've all tried to bargain with God, right? Watch what she says. If you'll do that, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. Now I want everybody to pay attention. This is huge. Number one, I don't know if you know this or not, this is the first recorded prayer of a woman anywhere in the Bible. All the way up to 1 Samuel, you don't hear a woman praying at all. And then you get to Hannah, and she prays. But it's not just a prayer of supplication for God to give her something. It's a prayer of surrender where she wants to give God something. She says, Lord, if you will give me this if you will give me this, I will give you what you gave me. In other words, here's what he said. This is the best thing a parent will ever do. Lord, if you'll give me a son, first thing I'm going to do is give him right back to you. First thing I'm going to do, I'm going to give him right back to you. Now, I'm going to give you a great lesson. This will be worth coming to church for. If you haven't heard anything yet, all right, buckle up. Great lesson to learn. When you pray for something, before God gives it to you, remember this lesson. This is one you might want to write down. I don't tell you to do that much. This is one not to forget. Whatever you ask from God, you should be willing to give back to God. Whatever you ask from God, you should be willing to give to God. Let me tell you why. If you ask God for something and God gives it to you, and then you treat it like it's yours, and you hold it with a closed fist, that gift just became your God. That gift just became your idol. Because you must always got to show God one thing when he gives you something. And here's what you better show God. God, I want to thank you that you gave me blank, a son, a job, a car, a house, a wife, a husband, health, whatever. God, I want to thank you that you gave me blank, but I want you to know 
I love the giver more than I love the gift. Can I get an amen to that one? I love the giver more than I love the gift. By the way, you remember what Jesus said about your very life? Do you remember what Jesus said about your life? He said, whoever wants to save their life will what? Lose it. You know how to save your life? Give it to him. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. God says, you want your life? Yeah, then you surrender your life to me, you'll have it. You keep it, you'll lose it. Exactly the same thing. Because see, God doesn't work the way we work. See, here's what we think. We think to keep something, you've got to get it, got to hold on to it, you've got to hoard it, you've got to lock it up, throw away the key, put guard dogs around it. It's ours. God says, that's not the way it works. God says, what you try to keep, you lose. But what you surrender to me, you keep. And Hannah figured that out. By the way, moms, do you know when you should surrender your children to the Lord? Can I tell you the best time to do it? The moment they come out of your womb. Because I've got news for every parent in this room, and I wish there were some here that could hear what I'm about to say. Your children really aren't your children. They're his children. He gave them to you. You don't own those children. I've known some parents, they like to let people have, I will tell you, these are my children. I got boundaries for my children. They're not your children. They're his children. He gave them to you. And I want you to notice, she gave this boy, she listened, fully. She didn't hold anything back because notice what we read. And no razor will ever be used on his head. Well, why is that such a big deal? They seem kind of strange. Why wouldn't you put a razor on his head? What does that mean? Well, some of you know what it means. She's, she's dedicating him as a Nazarite. She says, Lord, he's going to be special. See, a Nazarite was a special person. They were given over to God in a special way for a special purpose. So Hannah's, Hannah's making a tremendous promise because a Nazarite never got his hair cut. A Nazarite never drank wine. A Nazarite never touched a dead body. When a mother said to a son, I'm dedicating you as a Nazarite, what she was saying was, everything about you, your appearance, your appetite, even your affection is to be dedicated, dedicated completely to God. Now, here's what's interesting. Normally, whenever a mother would make this vow, she'd make it when the son was old enough to fulfill the vow about wine and so forth. It would only last for 30 days. In fact, the longest might be 100 days. But Hannah did something few mothers ever did. She said, no, Lord, I'm dedicating him as a Nazarite all the days of his life. From the day now to the day he dies, no razor will touch his head. He will never drink any wine. He will never touch a dead body for his entire life. By the way, there are only three lifelong Nazarites we know of in the Bible. Samson, John the Baptist, and Samuel. But now I want you to watch this. A model mom doesn't just pursue what she, pursue prayer. A model mom, watch this. She doesn't just pursue prayer. She practices what she prays. So what do you mean? Now watch what she does. This is such a fascinating story. You ought to read the Bible. It's full of good stuff. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord to fulfill his vow, Hannah didn't go. 
She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Now, this is one of those things that if you're reading your Bible, you wouldn't even pay attention. You're just kind of going about your business. Because ladies, you know, okay, she's weaning her child. Well, wait a minute. The weaning process took about three years to complete. So in other words, what we're told here is that Hannah, for the first three years of that little boy's life, she gives all of her attention and all of her affection to that little boy. Now, let me tell you what we now know scientifically. You, you talk about the Bible being the Word of God. You're talking about God knowing, knows what He's doing. We now know this. Listen to this. The first three years of a child's life is the most important. Why? Well, in the first year of life, babies develop 50% of their potential and positive attachment to the world. So in other words, by the end of the first year of their life, Children have learned half of all they're ever going to know about some of the most crucial issues about how do you relate to other people, whether or not people can be loved, whether or not they're special, who you can trust. That's the first year. In the second year, a child learns half as much as he did in the first year. And in the third year, they learn half as much in the third year as they did in the second year. In other words, we now know, you ready for this? After the first three years of a child's life, that child, at the end of that three years, 87% of everything a child will ever learn about relating to himself and relating others has been internalized before his fourth birthday. So Hannah spends three years of her life pouring her life and her love into that little boy, teaching him songs about God, teaching him Scripture, teaching him God's word, modeling before him what a godly mother looks like, praying for that little boy, spending time with him. Did it work, Mom? Was it worth the effort to give that kind of sacrifice? Watch this. This will, I'm telling you, moms, you're going to get happy. Watch this. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, three years. Along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. Kept her promise did what she said. And then you read this unbelievable statement. Who is that? Who's he? Samuel. And he worshiped the Lord there. He's only about to turn four years old old. And what is that four-year-old boy doing? Worshiping the Lord. Hey, Thrill, where'd he learn that? Where'd he get that? From a praying, godly mother. Three years. And that little boy 
could do more and do better than a lot of adults do on Sunday morning. He worshiped the Lord. So you see, it pays off in your frustration when you serve the Lord. It pays off in your desperation when you seek the Lord. It pays off in that celebration when you surrender to the Lord. You know what happened, I believe, when mom left that little four-year-old boy, Eli, and she went back home. It was hard to leave, son. I know that it was tough, but she kept the word. And I believe that mom, listen, mother, I believe that mom walked back into her house, and she looked in front of a mirror, and she said two words, mission accomplished. I have raised a champion for the Lord. And I want to say to every mom and every dad here, the number one thing you ought to pray for your children is not to be rich, not to be famous, not to be successful. The number one thing you ought to think you ought to pray for your children is that they would walk in the truth of God, have a passionate love for God, have a life devoted to God. That's the number one thing we ought to be praying for our kids. So, over a century ago, Theodore Roosevelt said this, and we're finished. It is the tasks connected with the home that are the fundamental task of humanity. After all, we can get along for the time being with an inferior quality of success in other lines, political or business, or of any such kinds. Because if there are failings in such matters, we can make them good for the next generation. But if the mother does not do her duty, there will either be no next generation or a next generation that is worse than none at all. My friends, my moms and my dads, he told the truth then, that is the truth now. More than ever in the history of the United States of America, we need model moms, praying parents, and godly dads who will seek God for their children and to seek to lead their children to the Lord. Would you pray with me for just a moment? With heads bowed, with eyes closed, I just want to say to every person here, two things are true about everybody listening to me right now. Everybody. The two most important things you'll do in this life, number one, is to receive the baton of the gospel. When you get a chance to take the gospel baton, you take it. When somebody tells you how you can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, who died for you, who came back from you, so you can be forgiven and have eternal life, the best thing you'll ever do in your life is you take that gospel baton. And the second best thing you'll ever do in your life is pass that baton off to somebody else, especially to your kids. If there's a mom or a dad listening to me right now or a son or a daughter, and you've never come to give your life to Christ, you've never ever given your life to Jesus, you may be a good person, you're not a godly person, you may be a fine person. You're not a faith person. You may know about God, believe in God, but you don't know God. Why don't you make that decision today? Why don't you just tell him, I'm a sinner. God, I, I, I need a Savior. I believe Jesus is that Savior. So Jesus, believing you died for my sins, believing that you came back from the grave, right now, Lord Jesus, I ask you to become my Lord. I give you my life. I trust you to save me. I ask you to come into my heart. I repent and turn away from my sin. I give all that I am to all that you are. If you prayed that prayer with me just now, you prayed it in your heart, you're watching right now online, by TV, wherever, 
Would you just go to this website? Right now, you, you know, go on your phone or your whatever it may be, crosspointchurch.com slash next. Would you just let us know, hey, I, I, I want you to know I, I prayed to receive Christ today. I gave my life to Christ, trusted Him. You could do that in here, but what I'd like to ask you to do, if you're in this building, if you ask Jesus into your heart today and you ask Him into your life and you really did business with God, He wants you to let us know that you did that. He does. And what I want you to do when this service is over, just go out to the lobby. There's a table out there called Connection Point. I just want you to go out to that table. There will be people there waiting on you. And all you've got to do is simply say this. Today, I prayed and gave my life to Jesus. I trusted Jesus as my Savior. Something like that. That's all you need to do. They'll know exactly what to do from there. You may say, you know, I've, I've done that. But you know what? Not like that little girl. I, I've never been baptized like that. Well, that's the very first thing God wants you to do. Jesus wants you to be baptized. That's the way you let, just like that little girl said, I want people to know I love Jesus and he saved me. That's the way you let people know it. Some of you in this room have never been biblically baptized and you need to be. I'm going to ask you to go to that table and say, I, I need to do that. And then there's some perhaps and you say, you know, I'm, I've been saved and baptized but I'm not a member of this church. Well, why not? If you come here, you attend here, why don't you come be a part of us, a form of where you can serve where you can lead, where you can get involved and get active. And so you might want to say, you know, I've been coming to this church for a while. I'd like to be a part of this church. Father, this is my prayer in the name of Jesus. Lord, number one, I pray nobody hears this message today, nobody without coming to Christ if they do not know him. And then, Lord, beyond that, God, I pray for all of us who are moms and dads and now grandmoms and granddads. God, let us make sure we're always passing the baton of truth down to that next generation. Thank you for your word today and bless it, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now we're gonna stand to our feet in just a moment for one last, in fact, go ahead and stand up right now. We'll just get ready to sing. And I got one last thing I wanna say as, you, as we go. You know, we're always talking about who's your one, you know, who's your one, who's your one. Everybody don't have a one. So I'm gonna give you some initials. You'll never know who this is. The initials are GT. I played in a golf tournament this week here in Atlanta for, for a charity, and we had a caddy. My caddy, is his initials are GT. So I always do this with every caddy. We're warming up, and I said, hey, uh, I said, uh, I'm James Merritt, call me Doc. I said, I just want to ask you a question. I said, you know, do you mind if we talk about spiritual things? And he kind of laughed, and he said, uh, you don't remember me, do you? I said, no. He said, you played here about three years ago. Oh, really? He said, yeah. He said, yeah, you gave me a card. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. I said, so, he said, yeah, you talked to me. He said, he said, to be honest, all I heard was Jesus all day long. That's all we talked about. <laughs> I don't say that to brag. That's all, I'd forgotten. So I said, well, GT, I'll just come in. I said, man, listen, where, where are you in your life right now? Well, bad news, good news. Bad news is when I talked to him at first, Dave, David, he was an agnostic when I talked to him at first, three years ago. Well, he's graduated. Now he believes we came from ancient aliens. Not making this up. Couldn't make it up. So he's promised me, in fact, I just sent it today. I'm going to send it tomorrow. He's going to read a book by Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ. He made a promise he would do it. I just want you to pray for GT. And I want you to pray that GT's eyes would be open and he would be saved. Now, why do I tell you that? Two reasons. Number one, I do not ask you to do what I don't do. I'm doing it out there. I'm with you. I'm out there. There are ones everywhere. There are GTs everywhere. Who is your one? Lastly, 
Who's that mom or that dad you say, man, I wish they'd heard that message. Maybe it's your son or your daughter-in-law. I wish they'd heard it. Invite and encourage someone to go online and hear that message today. David, I gotta say one more time. The worship has been off the charts. Thank you for leading us.